You're listening to the McKinsey Podcast, featuring wide-ranging conversations on the issues that matter in business and management. Hello and welcome to the McKinsey Podcast. I'm Diane Brady. Today, we're talking about the fuel that is powering the fourth industrial revolution. It is, of course, the much-anticipated 5G or fifth-generation wireless technology. What it delivers is an astonishing level of connectivity that will transform every industry. Today, we're focusing on the impact it's already having on manufacturing, from the supply chain to how we run our factories, and more importantly, that there are many times where we don't actually need 5G to get this done. Joining me today are two McKinsey leaders who spend a lot of time on the front lines of transformative technologies. Michael Chui is a San Francisco-based partner at the McKinsey Global Institute, where he leads research on the impact of technology on business and society. Eno DeBoer is the global head of manufacturing out of New York, where he's worked with partners like the World Economic Forum on the future of production and the fourth industrial revolution. Eno, Michael, welcome. Thanks, Diane. Great to be here. It's great to be here. You are both on the front lines. I want to know who has the cooler job here. I thought Michael. (laughs) (laughs) Anna, what was your answer on that? I thought it was Michael, but my job got more and more exciting over the last three, four years uh, as technology is just exploding on the shop floor. So I would say um, I'm now head to head with Michael. Ah, okay. Well, then we have to start with Michael. Give us a primer on connectivity because uh, there really are... Two things I remember about the Super Bowl this year. One is the halftime show with Shakira and JLo, and the other is this slew of 5G commercials announcing that the future was here. So is it? Well, it's on its way here. Uh, you know, 5G, the G stands for generation. Um, this is the fifth generation of these wireless technologies, and each one has been faster. Uh, and that's definitely true. Uh, but there are other things, other benefits that this uh, generation of technologies brings. Um, you know, number one is uh, it actually reduces latency, which is this, you know, slightly technical idea, but it just means that signals, um, uh, go one place and back um, much more rapidly. And that's really important when you need to be highly responsive, like for a self-driving car, for instance. Right. Uh, it also provides the capability of Internet of Things, including things on the manufacturing shop floor, which I'm sure we'll discuss later, it, reducing the amount of battery necessary for something that isn't uh, powered up to stay connected. So it does a whole bunch of uh, different things. And the other thing that's uh, really valuable is it's much more efficient in terms of how it uses uh, radio spectrum. Okay. So, Eno, is the fifth generation uh, what's powering this fourth industrial revolution? It is, and it is not yet, but it is soon to come. So, uh, to your earlier question, I think 5G is just coming on the shop floor because you need private networks, Mm. private 5G networks, and those are just kind of coming up and just coming available. Now, we have a real connectivity challenge on the shop floor because typically to drive value off the shop floor, you need to bring together 20 to 30 digital solutions that are really changing the way you run your operations and really augment the operator. I think the challenge that manufacturers are seeing now is as we see this suite of technologies coming towards us, 
how to deploy them in a very structured way and make them work together. So that's kind of the challenge at the moment. It's all about deployment. The technology is there. I want to start with COVID because we've seen a number of both unanticipated and to some extent anticipated fallout from that. Michael, what has it done in terms of connectivity IoT? Yeah, I mean, a couple of things. I mean, one is uh, it has brought to the to the forefront some of the applications uh, that advanced connectivity, uh, 5G and other technologies actually uh, can enable. And so if you think about things like trying to understand whether or not your workforce is safe and being able to determine where they are, who has been connected to who, if you need to do contact tracing and those sorts of things, these technologies enable those types of applications. Um, it also enables remote healthcare, a number of different things, you know, which could respond to the real public health and healthcare uh, needs uh, that this unfortunate and terrible pandemic has caused. At the same time, as Enna was saying, we are just in the process of installing all of this 5G infrastructure. It will take billions of dollars and countless person hours to actually put all of the base stations and antenna and all the other things that you need to put in place. In fact, it has slowed the deployment of these technologies because uh, it's harder to operate. These are people who have to work in the physical world, people that you might describe as essential workers. Uh, they are falling sick. They need to maintain social distance. They need to have PPE um, and capital budgets have been strained. Uh, the industry association estimates that deployments for 2020 are down about 25% wow. uh, as a result of COVID. So the need has been increased to a certain extent or become more obvious. And yet the, the challenge about deployment also has increased. Uh, particularly while we're still in this pandemic right now. And uh, my interpretation, or at least what I've gleaned from this pandemic, is that it has accelerated digitization. So I'm trying to bring those two ideas in line, that there's less money, there's less being done, but yet at the same time, we're clearly seeing acceleration on some fronts. So we see on the shop floor and in the supply chain an absolute acceleration. And the reason is digital is driving real business outcomes. Um, we have seen in this pandemic uh, uh, that we have a lot of uncertainty in the system, uncertainty that needs us to be very, very close connected to the customer. Connectivity is important to the customer. We have seen a lot of supply disruption in the system through mm -hmm. this pandemic. Uh, supply chain resilience is now a must-have. And if you think about supply chain resilience, what you need for that is you need to connect literally all the way to your uh, supplier and really understand where they are in the production process. Uh, you need to have a control tower in place that gives you oversight over your facilities. And that needs a lot of connectivity. So what I have seen in this pandemic is that the front runners in the fourth industrial revolution have done very, very well because they were prepared and they could retool their systems very quickly and react. Um, everyone has acknowledged uh, the need for digital technology um, on the shop floor. So the race has very much accelerated. It reminds me of that Warren Buffett quote of, you know, when the waves go out, you see uh, who's been swimming naked. And that is almost the situation here. Those who were prepared have done better. Um, and so, Michael, is it accelerating across the board? No, it isn't. And as we often find in this digital realm, it it does tend to 
increase the dispersion, you know, the performance difference between those who are leading and those who are lagging. One of the other reasons why acceleration has been able to occur is when we studied hundreds of different potential use cases, different ways in which you can use advanced connectivity, about 70 to 80 percent of the value could actually be achieved by existing technologies. Now, Mm. adding 5G and other technologies which are being rolled out will increase the performance even further. And yet for those who have already invested in having the infrastructure in place and are able to put some of these other enabling technologies in place, they've been able to accelerate. And clearly the demand's been there, as Anno mentioned, right? Whether it's, you know, certain types of retail volume and grocery um, accelerating because people are staying at home. There are places in the economy where demand has actually increased. But even if your demand hasn't increased and you do have this uncertainty, you're going to have to manage your supply chain. You're going to have to manage your workforce. Uh, and so we are starting to see all of these things happen. The more digital you get, the more digital a sector gets, the bigger the difference in performance between the the leaders and the laggards. Right. So it's like a big day of reckoning in a way. I want to hear more about how this is actually playing out. Um, Eno, tell me a little bit first about this global lighthouse network and what it is. Yeah, we started three years ago with the World Economic Forum to look at the top thousand manufacturers, how they are adopting technology on the shop floor and throughout the entire supply chain. And we have looked for examples of uh, lighthouses that are adopting this with impact at scale. So that's like a Michelin star for connectivity. What's a, is it a designation they get for being further along than their peers? Um, I would say yes and no. A Michelin star, yes, because uh, these 54 lighthouses, we just announced the next 10 are really kind of the top front runners in the fourth industrial revolution. In that term, I would say a Michelin star. But the ambition of the network is really to make sure that everyone learns from these front runners and everyone is taken along on this journey. And so we are hoping that um, everyone is coming at some point to this standard up so that this doesn't stay a Michelin star. It's interesting that, to Michael's point, not All of this is the latest and greatest technology. Some of it is connecting the stuff we already have. Is that true for the lighthouse? It's very true. And like, Mm -hmm. let me just give you a fact. Today, you would be very surprised, but only 20, 30% of all factories around the globe, we have 10 million, Mm -hmm. are really connected with Wi-Fi. Really? There's no Wi-Fi in the factory? There's no Wi-Fi in the factory. (laughs) I didn't know that. So that's very interesting. So very basic technologies are not there. So um, this needs all to be put in place. So if you are a company that has a factory that still has not a Wi-Fi, you might not need 5G right away. But we're getting more and more that are getting there. If you're running 20, 30 use cases that are driving fundamentally value, yeah, driving like agility, sustainability. We heard from Schneider Electric. They connected their entire energy consumption uh, sources and reduced their CO2 emission by Mm -hmm. 78% through this technology. If you want to do that, you need to have a different kind of technology. And just to be fair to our manufacturing colleagues, (laughs) a lot of factories uh, are not very radio friendly with regard to Wi-Fi. So it can be a little bit harder than setting up Wi-Fi in your house, which, by the way, can be challenging as well. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, Eno's point is a great one. So there's a lot more to be done in just very basic connectivity in a lot of factories. 
I know you talk a lot about artificial intelligence, Michael, that that may be even further off, that we may use that term a little too loosely at this point. Well, I mean, I think there are a lot of reasons why we might use that term a little loosely. I think it implies, you know, C-3PO is going to come in and run your factory. But at the same time, I would point out the following, and we've noted this a lot, um, as we've thought about artificial intelligence and internet of things, these sensors and devices that are connected in a factory, as NO knows very well. Many times people think, oh gosh, I have to install all these sensors and install this infrastructure. In many cases, you know, these machines are already throwing off data. People have used this term exhaust data or data exhaust. The machine just throws off this data. You can start to use artificial intelligence and analytics oftentimes with data which is already being generated. And so I wouldn't necessarily say you have to have everything wired up before you can start using AI. In fact, you can start using AI, which, by the way, is to a certain extent just a bunch of statistics. Don't think about it as being Star Wars. Uh, you can start using that tomorrow. And, and we see lots of companies that already have started using uh, the data exhaust, which they just happen to have sitting around. And the manufacturing sector has more data than any other sector already. So at the moment, the only challenge is that we only take less than 1% of the data to make really decisions. So I'm there with Michael. Uh, there's a lot that can be done. And AI will and is doing already is creating a lot of value on the shop floor. What are some of the interesting use cases? Number one is uh, uh, the Schneider Electric case, for example, where they had uh, sensors on every energy consumption. And they would take this in, they would predict the consumption, and with that, optimize the consumption. With that, reduce their energy um, consumption, but also their CO2 footprint. So, yeah, I have three examples for you. So the first one is, look, it's all about prediction. So, for example, energy consumption. You can predict energy consumption and then optimize this. Um, we heard from China Electric, they were talking about they had connected all the energy sources via IoT and then were predicting and optimizing the consumption with that reduced uh, their CO2 emission by 78%. Another good example is to predict failures in machines and with that um, uh, prevent those failures before they happen and with that keep the machine uptime higher. Uh, another one that I would bring up would be um, uh, using forecasting to forecast demand. Uh, it's a very common use case where you try to really better understand what demand is coming and with that, prepare your network that you can supply that demand. If I'm sitting in the middle of a pandemic and I am worried about my expenses, I can see the return on my investment, but I don't have a lot to invest at the moment. What is the advice that you give to those that want to get some of the gains of this, but can't afford to either retrofit their whole factories? Where do people tend to start? Yeah, so I think we have studied this very well, and we have seen a lot of companies and organizations wasting a lot of resources and money because they are following the pilot purgatory. They are following a thousand flowers broom approach. Uh, they are doing a lot of POCs everywhere around their network. What is a POC? 
A POC is a proof of concept. It's literally where you're testing out whether the technology works. Now, the problem is that a lot of organizations doing a lot of these POCs because they're a little bit in doubt and they're trying to figure out what to do. Now, we are saying like, look, they have been tested. Go to the places, to the lighthouses, for example, that have tested them and got the value out of it. The approach that we have seen working in the lighthouses is figure out one place, for example, one factory, concentrate on that. Uh, figure really out what is the business problem you want to solve there. Is it about agility? Is it about productivity? Is it about sustainability? Is it about resilience? And then compose the right set of use cases and make a dramatical change. And while you're doing that, build a scale-up vehicle that allows you to take this across your organization. That is a very wise way on how you spend the scarce resources that you have on the digital journey. So, Michael, I think right now about the concerns people have around, obviously, hygiene, social distancing, and I would want to have as few people as possible in my plants, which then raises the specter of job loss and automation. Uh, How's that playing out? The question about automation and its uh, impact on occupations and the future of work is another uh, area of study at uh, McKinsey Global Institute. Uh, and we do think and we have observed over time that more and more activities that previously were done by people uh, and with human hands you know, now are done by machines. Uh, but in history, what we've discovered is that we've found new activities uh, for people to do. And so one of the questions we try to ask in our research is, is that changing? Because we have so many more technologies now. What we actually discovered is there's still plenty of work that people will need to do going forward that is still hard for machines to do. And so, you know, as a result, one thing that we've been saying is probably the greatest challenge going forward is not going to be mass unemployment because of automation, but rather the requirement for mass redeployment from what people were doing previously, perhaps doing things with their hands, and then perhaps going forward, being able to manage a whole bunch of robots, for instance, uh, or move into other fields. Uh, that is a huge challenge I've described as a great grand challenge for the next uh, few decades, but it's a very different challenge than the idea, the notion that everyone will be out of work because everything will be done by machines. We don't see that coming in the foreseeable future. Now, by the way, there is another challenge around unemployment that's related to the COVID-related recession, uh, but that's a different set of challenges. It's not simply because all these robots are going to take everyone's jobs. More of a skill challenge, you mean? Indeed, indeed. And I want to get this back to 5G. How important is the 5G or the advanced connectivity portion of this to success? Yeah, I would say there are two answers to that. Um, number one is that um, there are certain use cases where you really need 5G. So, for example, um, if you want to run automated guided vehicles, AGVs, over the shop floor, they need to communicate with very low latency, not to get in traffic jams and really get to the line. Um, and for that, you need kind of the technology that 5G is offering. Um, another example is if you want to really use augmented reality to instruct experts that are bringing their expertise to the line, but then are having even more experienced people in the background that with augmented reality, giving them clues how to do their job, that is also something where you need very low latency, you need good bandwidth, and there 
5G technology is really helping to do this. There are a few of these uh, use cases that I would say can only be really done with 5G. But then I think if we're stepping back, as we're seeing an explosion on the shop floor of use cases, we found 92 high-impact use cases in our research with the World Economic Forum. If you bring them at the same time to the shop floor, you're running into bandwidth problems. And the great thing about 5G is here that you can prioritize the traffic uh, like a traffic cop. And with that, you can then manage um, how the bandwidth is flowing and you can make sure that literally every application um, is running properly. I hear a lot about the speed of disruption. So since we're now talking about the acceleration, explosion, it would suggest that the timeline for action is pretty quick. If you're somebody that has not done this, how quickly will you be left behind in the dust in some industries? Let me answer that for manufacturing. We have this 54 lighthouses, and I would say compared to their industry peers, they have now an advantage of roughly um, 18 to 24 months. Compared to someone who has not figured out how to leave the pilot purgatory. In technology terms, that is a scary long time. Now, do we see already the effects? Do we see that they take their entire industries, their entire markets? No, we don't see that. But if we spool this forward and if we are not getting the masses really going and getting on the same kind of flywheel as these lighthouses are, then we have a real problem because I think then a lot of companies and organizations will be left behind. And then in every industry, you will see a few that really have figured it out and they are just kind of creating an immense competitive advantage. Michael, there's a lot of noise out there, whether it's certain conspiracy theories about 5G or who's ahead, who's behind. How important is it that we resolve the societal discussion around this? Different things, I think, are of different importance. I mean, at the broadest level, if you talk about the societal importance of this, and particularly in um, advanced economies uh, in the West or Japan, uh, but even China, uh, because of demographics, uh, actually, the sizes of our workforces are decreasing. And what that means is in order for us to continue to have economic growth so that we can take care of people as they retire, et cetera, we actually have to increase productivity. We need to increase the amount that every worker produces for every hour that they work because we're just simply going to have fewer workers. These advanced technologies, these advanced communications technologies, artificial intelligence, Internet of Things, the things that Enno is talking about and helps his clients do in the factory can help accelerate productivity just so that we can make sure our children have better lives than we do. It's hard to think of something that's more important than that. And so, you know, getting these technologies in place and putting the management innovations in place that allow us to use those technologies better is incredibly important. You know, for our children, I mean, just to be a cliche about it. At the same time, you know, as this means that people have to change what they do as the labor force changes, again, we need to also pay attention to make sure that people actually get paid for the work that they do, because some of these technologies potentially could increase inequality. That is something that I think we need to pay attention to. And quite frankly, with regard to where we need to pay attention, I think those are the kinds of things, these skill shifts, um, you know, income changes are the things that we need to pay attention to much more than worrying 
talking about everyone's going to be out of a job because the robots will take everyone's job. It's more like how do we actually keep people working and make sure that they're paid, respecting the value that everyone produces um, for the economy. And it's one of the reckonings of COVID, right? We discover who is it that we actually consider essential workers and how much do we pay them? Um, I think that's a really important set of things. And it's something that this pandemic has really laid bare. Michael, help us see a little bit around the corner as to what's next in this area. What's on your radar? Well, one is I think we're going to continue to monitor what the cutting edge of technology is. Things continue to change, um, you know, on the connectivity side, on the artificial intelligence analytics side, in the machines themselves that exist on the shop floor. So we're going to continue to monitor that. But perhaps more importantly is how quickly can we put these technologies in place and pair them with the management innovations that will actually increase productivity? How can we see competition, you know, drive companies forward? Um, those are some of the things that I think will really determine how things play out, particularly as we're trying to recover from this pandemic-related uh, recession. What about you, Eno? More lighthouses to come. Yeah, more lighthouses to come. But more important, I think what we have seen now is that also the digital natives come into this space. Uh, the latest lighthouse that joined our network was from Alibaba, who uh, totally innovated the way how you do apparel manufacturing with customer insights connected all the way to the shop floor. They are able to reduce their delivery times by 70%, their product development time for new apparel by 75%. And I think that will kind of show a lot of industries uh, that it's time to move uh, and will even kind of further accelerate what we have seen over the last couple of months. And any final thoughts? I'll start with you, Michael. Well, one is break through the hype on 5G. You really understand what that technology is. It's not just the way to download uh, things faster. In fact, it has a whole bunch of different characteristics that you need to understand. And particularly, as Eno mentioned, deploying your own 5G network uh, within a factory. I think that's really important. Uh, secondly is understand the use cases. Eno mentioned a few of them, uh, which really create value for your business. And then thirdly, how do you scale? How do you actually get from pilot purgatory uh, to impact that your CFO can talk about at the next earnings call? You know, I think that's one of the biggest challenges for an organization, for a company. Great. Eno? Well, I would just say, uh, don't wait. It's not too late. Michael, Eno, thank you for your time. Thanks for having me. Thank you. That was Michael Choi and Eno DeBoer. If you'd like more information on their research, go to McKinsey.com, including more information on the Lighthouse Network that Eno alluded to. Thank you for joining us. I'm Diane Brady. You've been listening to the McKinsey Podcast. To learn more about McKinsey, our people, and our latest thinking, visit us at mckinsey.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook.